Welcome to the Recovering Hypocrite Podcast. I'm your host and the chief recovering hypocrite around these parts, Noel Jesse Haken. And, and as many of you know, especially if you were listening to the bonus episode that I threw out yesterday, I'm in self-quarantine. And after a little trip to Paris, and you can find out more by listening to yesterday's bonus episode, um, I am in self-quarantine for 14 days just to make sure I'm taking care of the vulnerable around us and all that sort of thing. And because of this, and I'm, I'm stuck in isolation in my undisclosed bunker, I asked people online what they wanted to hear me throw a couple extra podcasts out about. And somebody posted and said, you know, because church planting caused you to get quarantined, because you were in France talking about church planting, you got quarantined, you should really talk about church planting, because I'd love to hear more of your heart on that. And in that moment, I immediately knew who I wanted to have on as a guest, uh, Tony Morita. Let me tell you about Tony for a second. First of all, uh, he's the founding pastor at Imago Day in Raleigh. Uh, he is a professor of preaching at Gremke Seminary, author of like a dozen books, something like that. He is the content director for Acts 29, and his wife, Kimberly, is a thousand times uh, pretty much better at him than everything and greater than him and everything. And he has five kids, most importantly, born in Detroit, Michigan, and he's a huge uh, Detroit Tigers fan. So, Tony, is that enough? Did I just yeah, you oversell got you? Especially undersell the- you? What yeah. was that? I should clarify for my Detroit friend, just, uh, Trenton, Michigan, so just downriver. Uh, I say Detroit just because people can identify with that. Yeah, but everybody – in fact, we have an X-29 church downriver in Trenton. Okay. First yeah. Pres Church in uh, Trenton, uh, Downriver, is an X-29 church. Yeah, I was born there in 1977. I've been told that hospital no longer exists now. I think after I was born, they said, we don't want to do that to humanity anymore. <laughs> yeah. So how often do you get back to Detroit? Not enough. Not enough, man. Uh, if my friends would invite me up to, to Michigan, you know, I would I would come. But, um, but you got to uh, find some friends in Michigan. <laughs> I used you, to go every Christmas. Every, so I was born there. Uh, my dad's born and raised downtown Detroit. Um, my mom was from Kentucky. They lived in Detroit seven years and then moved to Kentucky. So I, w- I was raised there uh, in Kentucky, but I would go up every Christmas for about 20 years straight um, and every summer to see my grandma, aunts, uncles. Um, most of them have passed on, including my uh, grandma. So I don't have the family connection that I used to have. Yeah, the, it, it, the little grand tour you just gave your life starts to explain your accent because I've never been able to put my finger on it because it's not Detroit yeah. and it's not uh, North Carolina. Are you South Carolina or North Carolina? North Carolina. North Carolina. It's not North Carolina either. So it's yeah. a little bit, little bit Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, and it's not, you know, Appalachia is not the South. So it's, it, they have a really distinct uh, accent. Uh, and uh, it's taken me a while to get, uh, I'll, you know, I still have some of it, but I used to have it thick. Um, but, you know, when you actually learn English and uh, <laughs> get out of uh, the hills, you, you, you speak a little bit. My dad has more of a, a, a Michigan accent, for sure. Does he? So he drops all the consonants at the end of his words. Yeah, but he, he's also picked up the hillbilly twang. Uh, over is, the he? So, yeah. is he still in Kentucky? Yeah, yeah, they're in Georgetown, Kentucky, which is basically uh, Lexington. Yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about your church planning story because I don't even honestly, um, you know, you and I know each other in the X twenty nine world mostly. That's where kind of we roll around each other. But 
I don't know much of your story um, about the founding of Imago Day. I don't even know uh, if you're currently pastoring. It's called founding pastor, but that's usually a sneaky way of saying you're not doing all the work anymore. Somebody else is. So give us a, a ramp up of, of your church planning story, how you ended up in the whole thing and, and Raleigh and all that. Yeah, I'm actually doing work, uh, although it's <laughs> work uh, right now. Um, as, as you and I are both quarantined, we'll get to that in a moment, I guess. Um, but yeah, I was uh, born in uh, Detroit, grew up in Kentucky, became a Christian in, in college, and I was on a full uh, baseball scholarship in college and was a four-year uh, shortstop at a NAIA school, a small college, and uh, met Christ there, became a Christian. Uh, second baseman led me to faith, and uh, I went to seminary in New Orleans because I had met a, a, a professor. Did you that, go to New Orleans Baptist? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. So the, the preaching professor, I don't even know how he got invited to my school, but he came up and did three days of, of preaching and um, we just really hit it off. I wasn't really identified in a denomination at the time. I was very involved with uh, FCA and just kind of non-denom, you, you could say. Anyway, I just wanted to go study uh, with him. And so I did. Ended up staying in New Orleans for a long time, about eight years. Um, did some degrees there, pastored there. Um, Interestingly, went to uh, went through Hurricane Katrina there. That's the closest reference point. Wow, wow, Kimberly, that I have to this uh, coronavirus uh, crisis. Um, and then, yeah, about nine years ago, we moved to uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Raleigh Durham is a very interesting part of the state. Uh, I, I say it's in North Car- It's in the South, but not of the South. Uh, in that we have a ton of transplants. It's a university town. It's a uh, medical community and a tech community. So it's, it's very uh, international. Um, it votes differently than the rest of the state. Um, it's not uncommon, you know, to be coaching a little league team and have no parents from North Carolina, no, no families from the state. Wow. Yeah. So we like that. We like the kind of the dynamic. We get the benefit of having the weather, but it's, um, it's uh, very diverse and um, uh, has a lot of, uh, you know, different people groups. Um, we have uh, a ton of Hispanic speakers, for example, in our church. Uh, we also have the largest refugee community uh, in the whole state within two miles of our church. And so uh, we have a lot of really uh, unique opportunities to serve here. Um, we love the church. We started in my house about nine years ago um, and um, got a permanent facility about three years ago. We were mobile for the, the previous years. Um, and um, yeah, things have been going well. Been able to plant several churches. Um, of course, uh, get involved with Acts 29, and um, um, we're just enjoying the season. We've got five kids, ages 15 to 20. Um, all are doing uh, well overall, I could say. Um, they're all adopted, so we have uh, four from Ukraine we adopted 12 years ago, and one from Ethiopia we adopted 11 years ago. Um, so we've got our hands full, a uh, lot to do, but we we enjoy all of it. So why did you plant a church? So nine years ago, you're, you're down in New Orleans at that point, right? And you're trying to determine what's next. How, how is it that you decided? To, well, that you land? I said I didn't want to be a pastor. Um, I don't know how many guys go to seminary saying they don't want to be in the church, but that was me because I really had a, a poor ecclesiology. And I, I wanted to preach, but I, I thought I was going to do evangelism. I thought I was going to do college ministry or something like that, be on a college campus, um, coach sports and do ministry. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, but then I fell in love with the church. Uh, I started going to churches and um, I just didn't see myself 
uh, in traditional church life. I didn't think I was the right fit. So a guy told me, Hey guys, like you plant churches. And I was like, okay, <laughs> what, what does that, what does that mean? And, um, we had a couple of preach, uh, excuse me, church planting props, but then they, they, uh, got reassigned. They, they left, they went somewhere else. And that was in a, you know, a period of time. We're talking 2000, 2001 to where we didn't have a lot of talk on church planting going on. So I just put it on the, on the back burner and, uh, continued my studies. I did my master's quickly and I went into a PhD and, uh, got into, uh, the, the PhD program, got to the dissertation, uh, point and got married, uh, to Kimberly. And after, uh, the dissertation, I thought I was, we were going to go plant a church. Um, we learned a lot, you know, in the, this, this was now 2005. Okay. And, um, we just threw our name in the hat at a church in New Orleans uh, before the summer. We were going to do a summer camp for 10 weeks, a youth camp, me and Kimberly. And uh, a traditional church, uh, it's a church out by the airport. And uh, to our surprise, they, they wanted us to come and serve and be the pastor. So uh, we prayed through that and uh, started pastoring uh, this church. And had been there eight months when uh, the storm came through. Wow. Really impacted us in a remarkable way. Um, we stayed a couple years after Katrina, just a ton of disaster work during that time. It was very uh, draining, exhausting, uh, depressing, I would say. Um, and uh, I was left with a senior adult congregation. We, we, before Katrina, we had about 550 people in that church. I was 27 years old. And um, after Katrina, we had under 200 in the church. And they were all uh, seniors, senior citizens, basically. And we love them, but I also felt like they need a different kind of leader um, than I am. This is a different church now. Um, and so I, I saw a lot of counsel during that time. Um, the people that we were reaching, we had grown by like 200 people in eight months. And we baptized you know, a lot of people. Um, exciting things happening. We were starting young adult stuff and, you know, college students coming. And then all of a sudden it's gone. And um, so we reapplied with uh, the North American Mission Board at the time uh, to, to plant churches and um, thought we might plant in D.C. My wife's from the D.C. area. Um, and um, the next week, I got a phone call from the seminary asking me to come be on faculty. So I said yes with a caveat, hey, I want to plant a church. And they said, well, give it a year and then uh, go, go for it. Um, but we'd like for you to get, you know, this professor thing under your belt for a year before you do that. So that was my plan. Um, during that period of time, I started doing an interim pastor because I couldn't stay away from pastoring. Um, and they allowed me to, to do an interim. And so we were an interim at a church in Mississippi that was a big, it was a mega church uh, uh, in, the, in a college town where uh, Brett Favre actually went to college uh, <laughs> uh, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So we did that for 18 months. We drove up on the weekend and I preached multiple services and then I would go back and teach at the seminary in New Orleans through the week. Long story short, we reversed those roles eventually as I just didn't feel uh, like a good fit at New Orleans uh, at, the, at the seminary. And uh, this church in Mississippi was thriving. It was flourishing. They, they were loving, you know, uh, you know the, the, the mission that we were uh, helped put the church on and just great things happening. We were adopting kids during all that time. Um, and so we were at that church for about four years. And I still wanted to plant a church. Um, 
nothing, there was no problems, you know, in the church in Mississippi. I was, I was happy. I could have stayed another 10 years, but I just told Kimberly, Hey, before I die, we've got to plant a church. I wanted to start something from the ground up. I wanted to, I wanted to start something that uh, I wasn't building on someone else's foundation. Um, and I'd had this dream really since my first, second semester of seminary. And so we thought it might be another three years before we do it, but it got accelerated once I came to Raleigh on a, on a trip. It was an Acts 29 boot camp uh, Tyler Jones was hosting. And um, they had Vintage 21 Church, right? Yeah. yeah. And Tyler and I had been at Leadership Network together, um, and, he's, and we were already interested in uh, coming to Raleigh because of some of the stuff I was mentioning at the top of the podcast here. Um, and um, he said, hey, come to the boot camp. We came. Uh, the area was blowing up. Um, and then the seminary president that's up here uh, or down here for you, I guess, uh, at Southeastern Seminary that he heard I was interested in, in planting. And he said, would you be interested in being a professor? And I said, yeah, I need to pay the bills and need insurance. <laughs> you know, I, I would love to do that. I said, are, are you cool if I plant a church? Because I've already been down this road with one seminary. And they said, wait a year. And I don't want to wait. I'm, we're coming to plant a church. I already had like seven people that were committed to moving with me from Mississippi. Uh, and he said, yeah, sure. Uh, plan a church. So the seminary was super helpful and supportive. So I did both roles. I was a full-time prof and a pastor for uh, about six years. And then I stepped away from the seminary about three years ago uh, to devote all my attention to, uh, to the church here at IDC. Well, so you're one of those guys that has uh, pretty much every iron in the fire all the time. So, I, you know, because there's a couple different kinds of people. There's the, the type of people that are happiest when they're doing a lot of things. And then there's the people who are happiest when they have a singular focus. You definitely, over your whole career, seem to be the guy with a lot of things. Yep, so, yep. so from a church planning perspective, does that make you abnormal or normal? Like when you think about a prototypical church planter, are they somebody who needs to be singularly focused or is it better to be one of those guys like you or it does it not matter? What do you think from your perspective? I don't know. I think every, every guy's probably going to be different, uh, different gift mix, uh, you know, different um, profile. Um, I would say the one thing for me though, in doing all this stuff, uh, I could never do it without a great team. And so, like the principle for me is team. Um, more, I'm not trying to find more things to do. Like some of this stuff just comes, you know, like, um, but I've, I, we started with three pastors, for example. Uh, and I did that intentionally. We were three bivocational pastors and we, we um, support, uh, we tell our, our, our interns and future planters, we care less about location and more about team. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I feel like a lot of places could get old after a while uh, but if you give me the right team, the right guys, I could go to New York or Nepal or East Lansing, right? It's to me, it's, I mean, I think some guys, you know, to qualify that might have a particular calling to a city. I don't want to deny that sort of thing, but um, we are just, we're just big time, you know, pro team at IEC. Well, you know, and that's one of the things that just in getting to know you over the last couple of years, I've been impressed with is, is that commitment to team at the senior level. So I was, I was razzing you about the title founding pastor, yeah. but I have a suspicion that you've never held the senior pastor or lead pastor role in your, is that fair? Yeah, actually, I don't even know how that founding pastor is out and about, but uh, you I, know I you know where I found it. I found yeah. it on your website. 
TonyMarita.net, baby. And that's, I haven't looked at that thing in about five years. But um, I don't know. I, when I searched for Tony Marita bio, I figured I could either listen to what Gospel Coalition says about you or your own site. I picked your site. <laughs> and maybe yeah. I shouldn't have. You are right. We, um, we, we always say Jesus is a senior pastor, and we, we really believe that. It's not just pious talk, right? He, yeah. He's a good shepherd. He's a chief yep. shepherd. And we're all under shepherds. We're all elders. So we believe in plurality and parity. Um, you know, I'm first among equals on some issues, but not every issue. Uh, and we're all, we have plurality on all issues. Actually, I, I think that is one of, the, one of the healthiest ways of approaching team leadership at the senior level of a church is uh, so many people, even when they're talking about being, what well, we would talk about plurality. For those of you who've never heard that phrase, it just means a team at the top. When you're talking about a team leading together, a lot of times the first among equals card gets thrown down in such a way that it basically creates a de facto lead pastor or senior pastor anyway. So the way I like to think about first among equals is that in your area of leadership to which you have delegated authority by the team of elders, you have first among equal status there. So for instance, for me, my official title, we had to come, we were just, I was just pastor for a long time. We finally gave titles just for clarity. I'm, my official title, which no one ever sees, is teaching pastor. Um, basically, I, I oversee our teaching and theology. I oversee our church planting and vision. So in those areas, I have first draft privileges. I get to write the first documents. I get to be the first among equals there. But when it comes to life groups or it comes to care or it comes to family ministries or it comes to any of these other sorts of areas, when I'm in that room and that conversation is happening, I'm not the first among equals. Exactly. The first among equals shifts to the person who's got authority in that area. And that's how God has structured the body. Mm, yeah. I, I like that first draft privilege. I've never heard that phrase. I stole that from Kevin Peck at Austin Stone. Like and that. and basically, yeah, it's just anytime it's in your area, you get to have the first draft, but then that doesn't mean you're the authority. Right. You bring the first draft in and now everybody else talks about it. Good, it's good. So like, good. for instance, this week, I'm bringing a first draft uh, to our eldership about what do we do over the course of the next two months with this coronavirus thing. And I have a strategic plan I've been building. I'm going to be presenting it to the elders. And so I have the privilege to do that because that's within my role. But now we're going to discuss it and decide whether we're going to do it. And actually, that brings me back to what I wanted to talk about with church planning with you. Having sat through Katrina, um, and obviously it's not a one-to-one -one situation with the coronavirus thing that's happening right now, but there have got to be some lessons you learned as a pastor and church planter um, in that era that you could apply to us in the coronavirus era. So what have you got for us? What did you learn about pastoring or church planting that yeah. could help us today? Yeah, in some ways it was, it's similar. In some ways it's really different. Um, the, the challenge with the coronavirus is, is, right, we can't be together. So uh, Katrina, you might not be able to uh, meet, meet, meet in your building because of it's been destroyed or something, but you could still hang around with people, right? You can still go to people's homes. You can do a lot of stuff. We're in this state now with this coronavirus where we're just, we don't know what we're going to be able to do physically. Um, now, having said that, we were at, at our church, we were, we were outside the levee breaches. Uh, we were right next to the airport. So we, but we still got a lot of flooding though, a lot of damage. We were out for four weeks. Um, and I think the most vivid memory I have during uh, Katrina was meet the first Sunday back together. 
mm-hmm. after being away for four weeks, which seemed like, you know, six months. Um, it was remarkable. I remember we did our meet and greet, which again, will probably be different after the coronavirus. <laughs> but, I, you know, it was usually a five minute deal uh, that we were doing uh, at the most in terms at greeting time. It went forever. I mean, just people hugging each other and like we sang it as well. And I just remember that particular uh, song uh, during, again, Katrina was, was different in many ways, but it was similar. And I, I told our church yesterday in our online uh, worship service, um, th- when we get back together, it's, it's going to feel really special. And I, I can't wait for that. So I think, uh, I guess the big takeaway in all of that was just um, uh, appreciating uh, being together uh, more as a result of, of this crisis. I think we're going to really appreciate being able to, to be together and to sing together and to, and to, you know, love each other and hear the word together and all that. Yeah. And the vast majority of people who are listening are not pastors. They're not church planters, um, but they are in churches and they're in church plants. And I know as a professor, your focus is on preaching, um, how would you, so let's talk to the pastors for a quick second. Let's dip off and talk to them for a second and then dip back. What advice would you give uh, to guys who are now having to figure out how to, because a lot of guys are preaching on video or they're having to preach in, in settings that are wildly different for them and trying to fit and And, and it's hard because our ecclesiology is that we gather. I mean, ecclesia means to, the gathered church. I mean, we, we, ha, we have to gather to be the church. And yet people are wrestling with that theologically. I talked about that on a bonus episode yesterday, but basically what, um, what advice would you give to preachers right now for handling this new space that they're in? That's a, that's a great question. I think uh, at one level, nothing changes if we're going to do the video thing, right? We're still preparing. I, we're still going to, at our church, go through our uh, the sermon series that we were in, which was on Ecclesiastes, which has actually proven to be very profitable. Oh my, yeah. that's that, wild. It's a great series for this because every chapter we're talking about uncertainty and the, the brevity of life and all of that. So I feel like it's tailor-made for that. We are, the, But we were going to do Song of Solomon after Ecclesiastes, and we just decided today, uh, let's not do that. Let's hold off on that. We want to do First Peter and talk about being scattered Christians um, as, as Peter talks about that, uh, in the opening and how you've got the dispersed, you know, saints. Boy, I may steal that from you. I'm trying to figure out whether to do a different series after this one finished. We're wrapping up Hebrews. Yeah. I may, I, I, I may jump to first Peter with you. That would be fun, man. And I, then you, we could share resources. So let's talk about that. That'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> um, I think it'll go well. I, I currently have nine weeks after, uh, starting on Easter. Cause I'm thinking about starting it actually on Easter. I don't think we'll be able to meet corporately and and do that living hope text on easter and just keep rolling yeah i think we're gonna we were planning on starting the week after easter i have a couple verses left in hebrews at the end there but man that might be a good overlap there so so Uh, so so specifically for church planters out there let's talk to them right now about how to engage with their church plants, especially these smaller. So a lot of smaller church plants, they're still meeting, mm-hmm. um, but they're trying to figure out how to navigate these, these waters as well. A, a larger churches that have to shut down because they're just, there's numbers. Yeah. The smaller churches are still cranking. You got any advice for them? 
I think at one, uh, at one level, we need to say that the mission still hasn't changed, that we're still out to make disciples, right? So I think the question for me as a pastor leader is, what's the best way for us to make disciples of our people? Like we want to reach unbelievers as well, of course, but we've got, we have about 1200 people at our church. We have 50 small groups. Um, and I, I'm assuming these small groups will be able to meet, um, you know, what, hopefully in four or five weeks, maybe we post, we postponed everything, push everything back the rest of the month. Um, I don't know if it will push it back further than that in the future. It doesn't look like the big gathering will be able to, to happen for a while. Um, if we follow this CDC guideline of eight weeks. So yeah. my question now is like, how can I, how can we serve and resource our small group leaders um, and really invest in them? So I'm thinking we already do sermon-based small groups. So I think the video sermon if a series, if we do first Peter, I'm really thinking about small groups even more than I did in the past. Right. Mm, right. Uh, I felt like the, um, now I try to do evangelism and edification every week of a lot of new people in our church, a lot of unbelievers come, et cetera. I don't know how many of them are tuning in online services now. And so I think it's a great time to, to really deepen uh, the saints understanding of things perhaps and, and coach the small group leaders and, and support them as little mini shepherds, you know? Yeah. So one thing we didn't talk about because uh, we got kind of got drifted into your story and giving advice is, is why church planting is something that you're passionate about. It's, it's something that, that I've been passionate about uh, since I heard the idea when I was in my 20s. And Riverview, the church that I'm part of, we, uh, we were planted as one of the first couple plants by a church in Ames, Iowa. And it was a shoot first, then maybe aim later kind of uh, approach. And it was planted like a week after they came up with the idea. And, and God's done amazing things with that. We planted 12 churches in 12 years, failed at nine of those, um, had always had that passion. So when I heard about all that, I got excited about church planting. But why is church planting so vital? And especially speak to how vital it is right now to still be thinking about church planting. Yeah, I think I would start uh, theologically a couple places. One would be um, that God's purpose is always to God's purpose has always been to have a people for Himself. And um, I think when you uh, are doing church planting, you're tapping into this this story of redemption, right? God's always had a people that He displayed His glory to and through. Um, and so we're not just starting an event when we're planting a church. We we are. We are doing that which God has been doing throughout history, and we see it culminate in Revelation with a people, right? Not just individual Christians in heaven, but God as a people for himself. And so that's an exciting part of church planting is, to, is that we're out gathering a, a people that would display God's glory. Um, a, a more specific text that you know, immediately comes to mind is just the Great Commission, um, where we're, we're taught to make disciples, uh, we're to go teach, baptize, and we don't see an explicit word about church planting, but all of that points to church planting, right? Um, that people need to be taught somewhere and they need to be baptized, you know, with a people. And I think you see that the Great Commission, uh, uh, um, re the results of it in the book of Acts after Peter preaches at Pentecost and boom, it's a church. And so it's plant the gospel, plant churches, uh, plant the gospel, teach people in the context of the church, disciple them in the context of the church. Um, and then multiply, you know, we just, we just keep doing this thing. And I think one of the reasons you don't read a lot, again, explicit verses about church planting 
is that it's assumed in the New Testament because every epistle, uh, with with a few exceptions, are church plants. Uh, so it's it's just the air that we breathe in the New Testament. Uh, Paul started that church in Corinth. He didn't start the one in Rome, but it had been started by somebody. You know, we could go to uh, Ephesus and read about how it got started in uh, Acts 19 or how Philippians, you know, how Philipp the church in Philippi got started in Acts 16. So it's just everywhere. It is the activity of, of God's people on mission, uh, gathering of people, you know, for, for God's glory. So I think those are some of the theological uh, roots, you know, driving motivations. For me, what, what really happened was in seminary, uh, I took a class in all things that sounds horribly boring. And it did to me at first was on church administration, which is not my oh, Wow. <laughs> and I go in there and I'd never thought about these things. And we had, a, we had classes on everything from deacons to parking lots to, you know, budgets, insurance, everything that you can think of. It was really, really helpful. Uh, for me, and uh, we had to, our, we had one project, and that was to turn in all of our notes at the end of the semester, and talk about, you know, these particular categories, what we think we would do if we were in leadership in a church, huh. in all of these areas, yeah. and I, I just left thinking, man, what would it be like if I could start from nothing, you know, and, and what would we want to do, and that class led me to start thinking about church planting, even though the class was not even on church planting, uh, and then I started reading a Spurgeon biography that gave me a more of a, I guess, romantic love for the church. And uh, that biography had a lot of the seeds of uh, what would become, you know, fruit in my life. Uh, you know, Spurgeon's love for orphans, uh, Christ-centered preaching, uh, you know, training pastors. So much of my life, I could, I, I look back now and read Dalimore's biography of Spurgeon. And I say, man, that was, the Lord was working in that semester to give me a love for the church with Spurgeon and a practical, you know, thinking through what church could look like in this church administration class. Yeah. And I, I failed to mention at the, the very beginning, the reason I thought of you for this podcast is you and I were together in France. We got quarantined separately here in the States. And so um, that's what you and I are both under self-quarantine right now. But um, the, the, the group that we were with together in, in Paris was, was uh, leaders representing church planning networks around the world. And it is a fascinating thing to me right now that in a sense, this coronavirus thing has brought us closer together as church planners and network leaders helping church plants around the world than almost anything. It's fascinating to me that there's a unity and a brotherhood here where I'm on video calls with now with guys around the world saying, how do I deal with this in my church? Talking to a guy this morning, I was texting with a guy in South Africa. You know, this is, this is, you know, what we're trying to do. And just, it's just, it's, it's an amazing thing how this coronavirus thing has brought us together for the sake of the gospel and planting churches. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're in it together, man. Yeah, we, absolutely. So, um, so now I want to pivot to this is kind of my, like my final question, I suppose. Yeah, we'll just see. Um, talk for a moment to people in local churches right now. Like, I think, you know, we've been focusing a lot on, on the pastors, on, on church planners, and obviously I'm just sitting here thinking about strategic vision. Um, and I woke up this morning just thinking, 
this could be the moment that God uses in our generation to just blow the gospel doors off around the world, that this is an opportunity for the gospel right now if the people of God just embrace what it means to be the church embodied in a culture uh, gathered and scattered. And um, But speak to the folks in the church who are just trying to figure out all right, what does this mean for me? Is my church holding services? They're not holding services. Talk to their daily moment as a pastor. Pastor them for a moment, what it's like to be right now a Christian. Yeah, yeah I think uh, at one, one point, we, we've emphasized the importance of being together at, corporately. And so I want to affirm that and amen that. At the, uh, but I also want to, you know, you come behind that, as you said, gathered and scattered. Uh, the church is more than just uh, that, that assembly. It's uh, We are the church. And so we um, it's, it's the life that we live uh, in mission, you know, in our neighborhoods. And so I would just, I would just say as God's people, one, I think there's an attitude we need to display, uh, an attitude uh, that would uh, communicate peace. We're not freaking out. Um, you know, we take this threat seriously, but we, we're not afraid. Um, we um, also should have an attitude of love, of service, humility, uh, just being mindful of people's needs. My wife just went to the grocery store uh, and said she just almost wept as she saw the elderly out trying to get groceries. Um, and just, just the, the needs around us are, are, are big. And so, I mean, I can't get out for two more weeks, but if you're able to be out, just uh, be alert to the, to the needs of others around you. Obviously, take care of your own family. But um, this is a great time for the church to shine, to display um, some countercultural attitudes. Right now, the, what is the culture's attitude, right? It's it's a disrespect to authority. It is me first. I'm going to get all the toilet paper, right? I'm going to get all the milk, whatever. Uh, and it, and, and we, we get to show, and they're freaking out. So if you can show those three different kinds of dispositions right now, one of peace, uh, one of love, uh, one of res respect and honor of, of those that are in authority, um, I, I think we, we have an opportunity to, to really shine in, in a variety of ways. Uh, there are some things that we keep doing that we are, we've always done, and that is pray for each other, uh, give to our local church, uh, give to benevolence funds, uh, those kinds of things. Um, in, in many ways, we need that more than ever. So it is a great time for the church to rise up and, and also to have a bit of an experience of what it's like to, to be in a place that is not, you know, um, I mean, we're, we all live in dangerous places, but there are Christians throughout history that have had a hard time doing the kinds of things we ordinarily do. And now we have some of that trial. And uh, I can't I help but believe that the Lord is going to sanctify us through it. Absolutely. Well, Pastor Tony, would you pray for everybody? I, I don't normally end my podcast this way, but I think we're going to end with a prayer today. Would you pray for our, our world and our churches and everyone listening? Yeah. Father, we thank you for this day. Thanks for the great privilege of... Um, being yours, being sons and daughters of God. And uh, as we think about the virus that has spread across the world, uh, we are reminded that one day your glory will spread across the world as the waters cover the seas. And we long for the day in which there's no pain and sickness and no more death and no more tears and no more fears. And until we uh, experience your grace in a new heaven and new earth, I pray that we, your people, would glorify you through attitudes of honor, actions of love, uh, attitudes of humility um, and selflessness. May your church shine in this season, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen.